0: Blog Talk Radio
1: right into this world All alone got
2: take your soul You're on your own
1: the Crow flies straight. Good evening ladies and Gentlemen Welcome to a live edition of Way in Sports Talk. I'm your host Brian Tarvin joined tonight with co-host Trey Patterson and yes we've been Absent for one week, but hopefully coming back in that week, we have more to talk about. Um, hopefully I'm, I'm on dog duty tonight, so I'm going to do my best tonight. Hopefully he won't bark tonight and, um, lot to talk about in sports world. We're in the NBA playoffs right now. We'll, we'll break down both series just a little bit. We're probably going to try to go an hour tonight, talk about Donald Sterling's sale of the Clippers, talk about SEC. SEC days is going on in Florida. Talk about some of the things coming out of that. Trey, I hope you had a a good week so far. I know Memorial Day, it makes it a short week, so I'm excited. It's almost Friday, buddy. Yeah, buddy, it's getting there. All right, well, good to have you on tonight. And and like I said, we're going to be talking about some NBA playoffs, college football tonight, maybe touch on the NFL. But I, I did just get a message uh, from one of our fans, Tiffany. I do know her, and, and she wanted Trey to talk about the 50-cent pitch. I don't know if you got to see this. I mean, what a joke. I mean, I think my dog could throw the ball better than that, man. He doesn't have any thumbs. Yeah, it was pretty bad, man. Um, I mean,
3: I don't know what else to say. Uh, you know, the the Carly Ray Jepsen pitch, uh, if you want to Google that one, was pretty bad as well. Um, but it, it's got
1: to be up there in the top five worst pitches of all time. <laughs> I mean, this is this is some bad rapper. You know, 50 Cent, he's an actor. I mean, seriously, my, my dead grandmother could throw it better than that. I mean, I remember playing ball with her when I was a kid, and she could throw it better than that, which is beyond me. What do these guys do in the uh, – I mean, what do they do? Do they just sit around and drink, do drugs, whatever? They don't do anything active, but – Wow, I don't know if it was just a slip tray, or, or was it just that bad? Was, is he that bad? Well, you would think that if you had to throw out a first
3: pitch that you would do some practicing, um, but it did not appear that he practiced much at all. Uh, I mean, decent decent velocity, but nowhere near, um, nowhere near home plate
1: at all. Yeah, I had to throw that out there. If a listener wants me to talk about something, I'm definitely going to talk about it. But it was pretty, it was uh, very, very funny. I mean, just to see something that bad. And Trey, Donald Sterling in the NBA looks like now he's wanting to fight this sale of the Clippers. It looked like last week, I believe, he agreed with his wife to sell the team, but now he's wanting to back out of it. And, you know, Trey, the more I look at this, the more I read about it, the more I realize that Sterling's probably going to win against the NBA if this gets dragged out in court.
3: Well, I think the problem with the the NBA's position, I think uh, when you look at it, I mean there's a lot of things that tell me that he's going to lose when ultimately. But the NBA is going to lose because the NBA doesn't want this to go on a very long time. And you know, he the whole whether or not this, you know, draconian um, penalty as he says will be upheld, you know, all they have to do is find something in the Constitution that allows it. But when you get into the court, um, some of the public opinion doesn't really matter, and all all what really matters is what the black letter of the contract or the law says. Um, so it's going to be interesting if it does go that way. I, I think it's posturing, uh, Tarvin. I, I think what will happen is we'll have the Clippers sold probably by next year, and I would guess, Tarvin, it's going to be probably the record sale of any sporting team.
1: I mean, (laughs) you're talking about 1.2 billion dollars. Well, he said he already had an offer for 2. something, 2.2 billion. And could you imagine? I don't know. I know he only paid probably, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred million for the team. But could you imagine the capital gain off this? How's his income taxes going to look when he sells this and has a capital gain? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be. Well, he's a
3: billionaire anyway, so it's not as if he um, he needs it. Um, but it's one of those things, Tarvin, that um, it's going to set records when they do sell, and I think it will sell eventually. Uh, he may fight it for a while. I don't know if he's sick, uh, you know, as in like physically sick. I don't think he will. Uh, but you know, when you're a billionaire, Tarvin, and you really don't have much to do anymore. Um, it's not like he has a business to run per se, and he has people who do just about everything for him. Uh, so, you know, Tarvin, I mean, he may
1: just fight it out just because he's bored. I mean, when you're a billionaire, you do whatever you want to. You know, what he could do is go buy another apartment complex and not rent it out to any one but white people, Trey. You know, that's probably <laughs> yeah. what he'll be up to. That's probably what he'll be up to next. But I, I just I look at this guy, He's he's probably intelligent. It looks like he's been... I mean, he's not intelligent by his actions. Trust me, he's an idiot. But he loves to go to court. He loves to to use, you know, his interpretation of the law and try to use it against people. But, look, the NBA doesn't have any room for people like this. And, and the bottom line is the players need to do something about this. We've been over this probably ten times. But at the end of the day, the players need to step up and, and really get this guy to sell but if you're paying me millions of dollars, I could care less what you, what you call me. As long as I'm getting that paycheck every month, I could care less. But Trey, in the NBA playoffs, is it just me or did the first round just spoil us to where it was just so exciting everything and now it's just, okay, the, the Western Eastern Conference finals are on. I'm just not that into it for some reason. I mean, Oklahoma City came out and looked good. They tried it back up at two, but this Pacers Heat series is a
3: snoozer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I predicted the, the Pacers uh, to lose in six. I think I may be a game over that. It looks like it may be done in five. I mean, um, but, I'll, yeah, I agree with you, man. I just don't think it, it it had all the appeal that we wanted it to have early in the season. And, you know, they finally met in one versus two. The Pacers had the, the home court. But they came in, they just came in such a, a limpy team or a gimpy team And there's nothing about this series but the way the Pacers have played that makes us think that, you know, they're able to even compete with Miami, which is crazy when you think about they're the number one seed in the East. Um, But, Tarvin, they really aren't playing very well right now. And my question to you is, do the Pacers fire their head coach even though he's taken them to the the Eastern Conference Finals
1: two years in a row? Well, first of all, it's the Eastern Conference, so – Getting to the finals, it's not like, I mean, what has he really done with this team? It looks like they've taken several steps back since last season, and I don't know how what he's doing to Coach Hibbert. I don't know what he's doing to try to control Stevenson, but when is Stevenson going to learn you do not trash talk King James? That's the worst thing. It's like trash talking Michael Jordan. You don't do that. You don't want to wake someone up if if you're up 1-0 on them, and then you want to start your trash talk. But I think – To me, this team looks like a team that doesn't play with any kind of control, Trey, under any kind of control. So I think maybe you do look for a new coach. I mean, I was against that a few weeks ago, but the more I watch these Pacers play, I just don't see them getting any better. And Hibbert's the worst big man in the history of the NBA. Well, you know, they say that, um, you know, one of the dream jobs
3: for Izzo out of Michigan State would be the Indiana Pacers' job because of the talent there. I mean, you know, you got Paul George. You know, you got Hill. You know, Hibbert showed showed last year you know some brilliance at, the, at times. Um, you got pieces there. Uh, I, I, for one, don't like some of their moves, and I think it messed with some of their chemistry. Um, you know, we talked about this sort of ad nauseum, but you know, buying them on that roster, whether he plays or not, is a bad thing. It uh, traded away guys. Um, you know, who may not have the greatest talent or the greatest role, uh, you know, Evan Turner, we don't know what he's done to that team. He certainly hasn't produced um, at a level in the playoffs at all. So, you know, there's been some moves that I don't know if you can, you know,
1: attribute to the coaching, but, you know, what something has with Hibbert, Tarbin, we know, we know that for a fact. Well, the best part about this series is being able to listen to Mark Jackson do his game analysis. I mean, what a great coach and, what the shaft he he received the biggest shaft I've ever seen. What a great, phenomenal coach that got the short end of the straw. But let's look at Indiana right here, Trey. They're three that they're down three to one. Tonight is a like home game. Just say they, they, they extend this game just one more game. They go to Miami and they pull off the unthinkable. They win in Miami and all of a sudden we have a game seven in Indiana. I know that sounds crazy, Trey, but it's not it's not highly unlikely. I I think the Pacers can fight back here if they if they play team basketball, but I don't know how they're going to get it done in Miami. Yeah, I mean,
3: obviously I, I don't I don't see it happening, Carvin. Uh it certainly would be nice if it did. I mean, if the series actually developed into something um but uh it's one of those things that I just don't see happening.
1: I'm going to give you Hibbert's Game 4 stats, Trey. No points, over 4 for field goals. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you're an
3: Indiana Pacers fan, you don't like it a lot. Um, I think if you're a Heat fan, you love it. But, I mean, uh, as a as a fan of neither one of these teams, Tarvin, and just wanting to see good basketball, I mean, having a Hibbert that matters, you know, it, it makes a difference um, for this series. And, and it certainly has shown – um, basically how soft they are underneath. I mean, Chris Bosch is lighting them up.
1: Well, I mean, here's the deal, Trey. You've seen my ferociousness, ferociousness on the field, on the court. You, you put me seven feet tall and 300 pounds, and, man, it would be against the law for me to play sports if I was that size, Trey. And that's what I don't, that's what I don't get. I mean, did these guys grow up just being soft because they were bigger and nobody punched them in the mouth maybe or something? But Hivert, looks like to me the guy playing scared he's playing soft and he has no business in the NBA I mean I don't know what happened to him but he's very soft Trey
3: yeah I mean I don't know what happened to him but we all know something happened I mean there's there's no doubt about it
1: well Trey I, I think Jonathan's in queue right now he pressed number one to come on and Jonathan, welcome to the show, and I'll I'll go to you, the Pacers and Hibbert. I mean, is he the worst big man in the NBA?
2: (laughs) Well, no, no, no. I think Kendrick Perkins uh, takes that title from Hibbert. Um, I don't know what's mentally wrong with him. I mean, I keep hearing that Paul George is messing around with Hibbert's fiance. I don't know, and I'm not here to create a rumor, but Indiana needs to figure something out because even though they're in the conference finals, I still think their coach's job is on the line because they kept preaching all season, give us home court, we'll be the heat. Well, you got home court, and you're getting stomped right now.
1: And breaking news, Hibbert just missed a wide-open layup after he, after he, he traveled. But I, I didn't think Paul George was screwing around with Hibbert's fiance unless Hibbert's fiance's name's Candy the Throat.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, oh, wow. no, ow! The, the, you didn't hear that. You didn't hear that rumor that came out. Okay, uh, never mind. I won't I talk about, about. I won't even talk about. I won't even talk about that story. But if you if you're sorry enough to do that on your own teammate and do something like that, you you have more problems than than anybody. You don't even need to be playing in the NBA, Trey. Have you heard that story, Trey, about him messing with the fiance of Hibbert? No, I haven't. I haven't either. So that, I'll look into that a little bit. And then I'll tell you this, the series that, you know, if I'm a Baca, Trey, I'm going right now and I'm demanding a raise from OKC. You're you're sitting on the bench games one and two. You lose by 30 points a game and you come back and you dominate. Trey, is a Baca that important? Because I do remember Jonathan telling me on the show that, you know, if a Baca was playing, he would take OKC, but because he was going to miss a series, he was picking the Spurs, and, Trey, I didn't realize Ibaka was that important. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember saying something very similar, and I think that
3: Ibaka just, I mean, if you look at the Thunder's record against the Spurs with Serge Ibaka playing, I mean, he, he is the kryptonite to Tim Duncan, it seems like. So uh, he is that important, um, and I think that's why. Is, is Serge Ibaka seems to have um, basically the ability to work down low however he chooses, because it just seems like they they can't defend him, and he can defend them, and he can defend the Spurs
1: very well. Well, Jonathan, I think that Baca, what he does is he plays a good enough defense to allow Durant and Westbrook not to focus on defense. And I don't know why. I think Westbrook was focused last night because, man, he was harassing the Spurs. How many steals did he end up having, Jonathan?
2: Uh, Westbrook wound up with five steals last night. And you're right, though. I mean, if you look at the numbers for last night's game, Tony Parker, 14 points. Tim Duncan had nine. Um, and we're talking about Duncan lives in the paint. There's no doubt about that. But Parker is another guy who lives in the paint. He's a slasher. He's a driver. And the fact that he held you know, uh, Bakken comes back and all of a sudden those guys go from combining for 40 points to combining for 23. I mean, that, that, that's not a coincidence. There's a reason why that happened. He's an amazing defensive presence. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and he's one huge upgrade when you're talking about throwing Kendrick Perkins and Steven Adams out there. I mean, it, it's unreal how big of a difference he has made.
1: Well, Trey, let me ask you this. If he, he pulls the the Jordan-like comeback, you know, he's not, I mean, not the flu really like Jordan played with, but if he was, if he could play game three and four the way he played and the way he performed, where was he at game one and two? That that's my question. Was he is he really that hurt to where he couldn't have suited up and played when his team needed him, especially in game two? I understand game one, maybe just to get a feel to see what it is, but after you lose that game one, aren't you in desperation mode? Well, I mean, you know, I don't know what was going on with him medically, but you know,
3: he certainly seems to be okay now and they say he's not gonna miss any more games, so um <laughs> you know, I yeah, I agree with you. I don't know what was going on.
1: Maybe it's some H G H, Jonathan.
2: Quite possibly, quite possibly. Maybe they flew him over to Germany to have the Kobe Bryant-Platon something-or-another transplant thing.
1: Yeah, but, hey, guys, Game 5 is coming up tomorrow night in San Antonio. Jonathan, how wild is it going to be if OKC goes and steals one in San Antonio? Does it come back to San Antonio, or will Oklahoma City finish it off in six?
2: If Oklahoma City wins Game 5 in San Antonio, that series is over. San Antonio has no shot, and I repeat, no shot of winning that series if they lose game five. That's just a fact. I mean, we saw this happen in 2011. San Antonio won the first two games. OKC came in and said, no, we're done playing around with the next four. I think we're looking at the same type of thing if that happens again. There's no way that series, not only does it not get back to San Antonio, had no shot of San Antonio competing in game six.
1: Wow. Trey, I mean, tell us your thoughts, what, what Jonathan said.
2: Well, you know, I,
1: I'm not going to change my prediction from earlier in the
3: series, even though Ibaka is playing. Uh, but I, you know, Jonathan, you a good point. I think if the Thunder win uh, and take control of the series, then this is looking bad for the Spurs. We've seen the Spurs before, and they seem to have that, that sort of back-breaking game. Uh, it really does affect them later on in the series. They're not one of those teams that seem to be able to rebound uh, very well from big, crushing defeats. So, I mean, you may have a good point. I'm still going to hold to my, my tenets and say Spurs in six, but I got to tell you, this
1: series looks like it's going seven to me. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Jonathan hit it on the head. If they lose, if San Antonio comes back home in game five and loses, it's over. I mean, Durant, Westbrook's going to go off. I mean, this team looks phenomenal best game they said it on tv last night the best game westbrook's ever played that they saw i have to agree i was thinking the same thing when i was watching the game but this westbrook guy is a phenomenal player i mean he's he's amazing him and durant but abaca trey i mean do you double the guy's salary Mm -hmm. if you're okc to to keep him do you keep abaca
3: Oh, I think you have to try. I mean, the thing is, we saw OKC, they really changed after Harden left, and I think we all kind of just ignored um, sort of the postseason ability that he had. Now, with Serge Ibaka, they sort of tra- transitioned to a different style, uh, more physical down low, and of course, uh, uh, Durant and Westbrook are able to score at will at times, but they got to have something else. I mean, I saw things online say, well, Jordan didn't need a big man, when well, Jordan, Jordan didn't need a big man, and, and so did... You know, a lot of guys, I mean, Kobe had Shaq for a lot of those times. I mean, so you do need uh, someone to juxtapose, you know, the defense. And So I think for the Thunder, they need a big man presence because, you know, Durant and Westbrook don't give them that down low. They can't dominate the boards. They can't, you know, they can't block shots. They can't alter uh, people driving the layup. I mean, heck, Tarvin, I I remember Rodman pretty well uh, dominating down low during the Jordan
1: years. Um, they also had a three-point shooter, you know, so they were able to spread the floor pretty good for Jordan and Tippett. Yeah, I know Rodney came out in his wedding gown um, <laughs> one game. He's, he's very important. And I'm, I've been, you know, we've had a conversation on our Way In Sports page, and, you know, I put an article out about, you know, I had a picture of Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Jordan Trey, and it said, you know, we didn't have to uh, join together. We could win our own. Is that being fair to LeBron? right now. I mean, still going to Miami with the Bosch and the Wade, those three together, it's like they bought their championships. Are you, are you feeling any different about that today than you did a few years ago?
3: Let me ask you this, Parvin, do you really think, I mean, I saw this on ESPN and I, I, I was like, what? Wade is a Hall of Famer. I mean, Dwayne Wade won a championship before LeBron, uh, which gets forgotten a lot when Dwayne Wade was promoted the only player on that team. Um, But Bosch, tell me this, name a time in Bosch's career where he was really a dominant player. I mean, he's a good uh, sort of tag-along player, and he's always been decently good. But I mean, I could probably throw 10 or 15 guys in the league, Tarvin, that are better uh, at the forward position than Bosch, and maybe more. And so when I think of, you know, what LeBron's doing there, I mean, he's got, you know, a great supporting cast. There's not about Ray Allen is, is... often not talked about enough. Ray Allen is to the heat what, you know, all those three-point shooters for the Bulls uh during the heyday, you know, Bill, Bill Paxton and guys like that were times 10 because he's a much better shooter. Uh and so uh, he's got a a good supporting cast, but I don't throw Bosch out there as if if it's he's something worthy of the Hall of
1: Fame like Pippen was. Well, but the, the thing is, and Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong here, when when Bosch came to the Heat, he was he was a big deal, really. I mean, when you look at that deal, you said, "God, Wade, Bosch, James, how are they going to be beat?" But as the years go by, we realize that chris chris bosch is is really nothing man
2: well chris and this is what people they always seem to forget this, and we see it in baseball, you see it in football. Chris Bosch was the best player on an awful Toronto team, so he automatically looked better because. Everybody knew he was the most talented player on that team, so everything ran through him. I, and and that, literally, that, that, that was the difference. That's why Bosch was made out to be as big as he was. If Toronto was anywhere half any decent, Bosch wouldn't have been you know, paid like he was some great player. Bosch is nowhere near what Amari Stoudemire was. I don't think Bosch is ever near what Boozer was. And I saying something since I'm not a big Boozer fan. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he got, he got that money because, Everybody was getting money at that time. Boozer got a lot of money. Uh, Stademeyer, LeBron, Wade, if everybody wasn't throwing cash hand over fist at, at that point in time in free agency uh, that, that year, Bosch wouldn't have gotten that kind of money. If he'd been a free agent last year, you, come on now. I mean, really? Who's going to say Kevin Love or Chris Bosch? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's ridiculous how much hype was and so how much pressure was thrown on his shoulders just because he teamed up with LeBron and Wade and people were giving him the same level of respect where he didn't earn it. Not only that, but he didn't deserve it.
1: Well, Trey, let's talk about what LeBron has done in his career. I mean, taking Cleveland to the finals, I don't care if they won or not, he took them to the finals with him alone, and then now, what is it, a chance for four NBA finals in a row? I mean, this is... Unbelievable what he's accomplished so far as a player, and he's he's not through; he's still got a lot more left. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and I will say um, that people
3: assume, I think, that he's not as great as he is because he's playing with Dwayne Wade. Uh, but Dwayne Wade is a great player. Um, but wouldn't you wouldn't maybe you wouldn't agree, Tarvin? Wouldn't you say he's somewhat similar to Tipping, maybe a little bit better? but he's somewhat similar. At least during his heyday, he was better.
1: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with you. And, and I, I think I don't think Le- Dwayne Wade's anything like he used to be, and that speaks more to LeBron than anything. He took this team on his back. Le- Le- the Miami Heat, let's, let's not joke about it. It's all LeBron James. Dwayne Wade's at the end of his career. He's long in the tooth. He's older. Bosh sucks. I mean, you you got Dennis Rodman, White Dennis Rodman on the team. I mean, it's Lebron James's show, and I don't know if he has enough trade to be able to beat OKC or San Antonio, but we're gonna find out very soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If he wins another championship right now, I mean, how closer to Jordan is he gonna be, Jonathan?
2: Um, he'll still be three rings short. Uh, I mean. LeBron's a great player. There's no doubt about that. Um, I can't take any, anything away from that. I will say he is the best player in the NBA by far. Nobody can touch him, not even Durant. Even though Durant might have had a better year and won the MVP, doesn't matter. Look at the overall track record. LeBron's always been better. Um, but LeBron, at the same time, I mean, at three, he's halfway there. That's how I look at it. He's halfway there. And at this point, it's not even measuring rings to Michael because you know LeBron's going to get his rings at this point. People are, gonna come, are going to come – and want to play with him, especially if he stays in Miami just because of all the extras that come with living in Miami. Um, It's just, how does he wind up finishing out statistically? Where is he going to wind up with points and assists and rebounds, blocks and steals? Because LeBron has a chance to be not just one of the greatest players ever when it comes to championships, but one of the greatest statistic players ever. I, I mean, he's one of the few guys in the NBA you can look at and say, He's a five-tool guy, and I know that's not really a term thrown around in the NBA, but it, but it should be when it comes to LeBron because he's going to score. He's going to get rebounds, the assists, steals, and blocks. I mean, he's a force on both ends of the floor. I think at this point in his career, um, he's nowhere near what Michael was because they're totally different kind of players at this point. Michael was relied on just to score. Early in his career, Michael was the do-everything guy that LeBron is, um, But LeBron will remind me a lot of Oscar Robinson, will remind me a lot of Magic Johnson, guys who were asked to do everything for their team. And that's what he does night in, night out. I got to be honest. To watch LeBron is to watch one of the best players we will ever see play basketball.
1: And, Trey, you look at Cleveland, what they're doing right now, the players they're assembling, these draft picks they're getting, any chance LeBron just says, I'm going back to Cleveland, and if so, how are their Cleveland fans, fans going to respond? I think they're going to be a little two-faced, really, and be kissing his butt after they cut yeah. him out for leaving. What do you think?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, and think about it. If you're LeBron James and you're looking at your opportunities when, when you become a free agent, um, honestly, Tarvin, I mean, you look at Kyrie Irving, um, an up-and-coming great player. They've had how many great number how many picks, you know, in their sort of – to go with LeBron James. I mean, they would have a stacked roster, and it may be the best opportunity for LeBron James, to be honest with
1: you, to keep winning titles. Yep. I agree. And, and you know, LeBron, he, he's going to come to a point in his career, and he's probably getting close, where he needs to rely on other people to get him somewhere. Maybe he could take a couple of nights off on the court and, and his team's good enough around him to win. That's what LeBron actually deserves, honestly. I mean, he, he's played hard every game I've ever seen him play in, Trey, and, trade, and I, I think that's his next move. Imagine Johnny Manziel and LeBron James in the same city. <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you what. I mean, think about how many titles. If they win
3: this year, let's just say they win this year, Tarvin. How many titles do you think he can win with Kyrie Irvin basically coming into his prime? And, oh, by the way, you know, we don't know Anthony Bennett, if he's ever going to become anything, but you know we have the number one pick last year. You still have number one pick this year, and you know, is it going to be Andrew Wiggins or Embiid, or I mean, who is it going to be? Um, you know, I mean Jabari was it Jabari Parker? Uh, I mean, all those guys. I mean, how well would they complement Kyrie Irving
1: and LeBron James? I think this draft really, Jonathan. You could look at it. If you're Cleveland, maybe you're in talks with LeBron somewhere. You know, the agent. Maybe your draft pick this year depends on whether LeBron James is going to be in Cleveland or not.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I keep hearing that no matter who had the number one pick, that Embiid was going to be the selection. But I think you might be right. I, I Honestly, if you're Cleveland, one of their weaknesses is not inside. It's more that three spot. They kind of had a rotation going, and it was a hole that never seemed to be filled. So if you're Cleveland... At this rate, you go, well, I can take Jabari Parker to play three if LeBron's not coming, or I can take Embiid to play five, slide LeBron at three. But, I mean, th- think, think of this starting lineup really quick. Kyrie Irving, Deion Waiters, LeBron James, Tristan Thompson, Anderson Varejo. I-, I mean, that's, that's terrifying, to be honest with you. I would hate to play against Cleveland every night, uh, and I-, I just don't. I don't see how they wouldn't win multiple championships with that. Because, like Trey was saying, Kyrie Irving's just now coming into his prime, being one of the best point guards in the game. Deion Waiters has proven he can score. Tristan Thompson's a double-double machine, and so is Veragel. That team would be ridiculous. I think that team, honestly, might be better than the Heat teams we've seen.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, there's, there's a lot. Uh, I think we could have some off-season drama in the NBA. You know, they're going to try to compete with the NFL with what all goes on in the offseason in college football. So we'll see. Um, you're listening to Way In Sports Talk live on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, we're about halfway through the show right now. And, and, Trey, it's time to get into some college football. I hope you guys are ready. I know I am. Um, a lot going on right now in the SEC meetings. But, Trey, the college football odds came out today. One of the casinos, you know, guess who the, the number one team to make it the, to the playoff is uh, Florida yeah. State. Yep, in that class you have Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, Florida State, the top four. But then you have a tie for fifth, Oklahoma and Auburn. So how yeah. many how many times do these guys get it right? That's the thing. I, I still think that we could have some kind of drama this year in college football. It never goes as scripted. And I believe we have Ryan Fowler with us as a guest tonight. Ryan, how are you, sir?
0: man, thank you guys for having me. I hope you guys are having a great night.
1: Thanks. we are. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Ryan is the host of Tide ninety nine point one FM in Tuscaloosa, and 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 I, I know you've referred to yourself as an Alabama Homer, but I, I just don't see that.
0: Oh well, then you need to listen more uh, uh you yeah, know I'm, listen, I'm one of those guys and and this is sort of my perspective. Uh, I'm a media guy, but i've I've been always been taught to sort of be out front uh, so I don't try to disguise my bias. I grew up an Alabama fan. Uh, do I cover the University of Alabama do, do I try to be fair and as much as possible? Sure, but at the end of the day, I mean you got to call an ace of spades an ace of spades. Uh, I would probably classify. And I think most media guys uh, would probably call me a Homer as well and <laughs> Uh, that's okay. I mean, I I sort of wear it on my sleeve, and uh, uh, you know, I I don't try to run from it. I mean, it's something that uh, I grew up as, and just because I do a radio show doesn't mean I get to throw my allegiance away and just say, hey, uh, you know, I'm no longer an Alabama fan.
1: And and, uh, I I agree with that, And, and on your show, you've had some interesting topics, and it seemed like a lot of the Alabama nation, a little upset about two things. Number one, Auburn going back possibly and claiming three national championships um, to give them five from two. And also the the controversy really, or not even a controversy to me, but Gus Malzahn versus Nick Saban. If Nick Saban loses to Gus Malzahn this year, can you really compare these two coaches? So So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, we've had a couple of conversations here recently that I think has has got a little bit of attention. Uh, We were actually commenting on a couple of the comments that were made by other college football analysts. And uh, one of the guys had said, if Gus Malzahn beats Alabama in November, late November, and and it's the second win in a row for Gus Malzahn, does he become part of the conversation? Do you make him in the conversation with Nick Saban? And I said, absolutely not. I I just don't think it's time yet. If you come back and you're able to do this for, you know, three out of five or four out of five, then then you start considering him in that conversation. But, But, guys, even as Auburn fans, you have to look at it from a perspective. Nick Saban is in a unique class right now by himself. Uh, he he's out there, not by himself, but, I mean, he's with the other greats in college football. You want to talk about Tom Osper, you, you, you want to talk about Coach Bryant or, or Coach Bobby Bowden, he's in that conversation right now strictly because he's won four national titles. He's the only one to do it in back-to-back championships in the BCS. Uh, and so I don't think it's fair. Just like I said last night on my show, Coach Pat Dye walked off the field with Coach Bryant He beat Coach Bryant, and I have Coach Pat Dye on my show every week during football season, and unfortunately, I cannot put Coach Pat Dye in the same conversation with Coach Bryant, and that's why I said, one win doesn't define you as a great coach or a bad coach.
1: You're exactly right, and being an Auburn fan, I mean, I told told you this on Facebook or whatnot, You, you can't compare the two. I mean, Gus Malzahn, it's not fair to compare Gus Malzahn to Saban. Saban's done it all. He's coached a lot longer. He's won national championships at multiple schools. It's just, it is what it is. It's something about this rivalry, Alabama and Auburn. It's 365 days a year. But, you know, being an Auburn fan, talking about the national championships, I don't know how many Auburn fans you speak with that, that want to claim these national championships, Ryan, but I'm one of the ones that, that I, I only claimed two, 57, I wasn't alive in 2010. I don't think as an Auburn fan you could be happy about going back and trying to claim something that you didn't win on the field.
0: Well, and we've had players on them. I'm not going to call about by name, uh, but we've had players. They're archived on our website, but it take you a couple of hours, and somebody's that dedicated, they'll find out who it is. But we featured Auburn players from both the 93-team and, and the '83 team, and I'm not going. Like I said, I'm not going to say their names. But we've asked them, "What would it make you feel if you went back and claimed that?" And, and we have heard a unanimous response: No, no, we, we shouldn't claim that. We shouldn't claim that. So I guess my question would be back to you guys. And, and I'm not trying to spend this because I'm trying to answer the question. What has the response been like from the Auburn Nation? Is there a little bit of a meltdown uh, of saying, "Hey, guys, you know, we we're on." You know, the top of the SEC. We're the defending champs. We don't need to claim national championships that we didn't win. We're, where's the Auburn fan base on this topic? Yeah, the, the ones I've spoken
1: with, or are, are, are with me, you know, why, why are you going to claim something? It kind of makes Auburn look bad. You, like like you said, you're yeah. on top of the you're on top of the world right now in your mind. You know, you just you just played for a national championship even though you lost. Why are you trying to? bring that negative attention to yourself. And and 83, you know, I was young, but I go back and look at it. You know, Miami beat Nebraska. They they won it. 93, you're on probation. You didn't play for the SEC or the national championship. In 2004, you got left out because you lost to USC two years prior to that, two years in a row, actually. That kind of, you know, hurt Auburn. But you can't do it. And, and Trey, I don't know if, if, if you've heard from any Auburn fans that, I haven't heard from any that's wanting to claim the these are excited about it. Really? Well, I've heard I've heard some <laughs> from the
3: 2005. I've seen a lot of posts on Facebook um, who want to claim it because it's been you know it, it's been vacated. It, um, I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I, I like I like you guys, man. I, I want to see it on the field. I've seen three for Florida State in my lifetime. That's the only three they have, but I've seen all three of them. I, I just, you know, when you talk about the olden days and the number of championships, honestly, I'll tell you what, Tarvin. Other than fans who like to talk, I don't think it matters to recruit who won a championship in 1921, before football <laughs> was even football. Uh, I, I think when you talk about these kids nowadays and recruits and why it really matters, the two wins on the field in this BCS era and on, you know and on Ford because that's what
1: they know and that's what matters when the competition played each other, who really won. Yeah. ryan i'm I'm on the phone actually with two Florida state fans right here, and they're big supporters oh, wow. uh, jacob, of jacob of coker actually he's coming Whoa. to alabama and i heard I heard on your show you you were talking about you've seen the Alabama quarterbacks in practice up close and personal and and you said without Coker being able to do what what he's supposed to be able to do that Alabama's an eight and fourteen without him.
0: Well, I watched 15 practices, including A-Day. That's the, fifth, it's the 15th official practice. I watched 14 previous practices that were closed to the media, uh, or excuse me, closed to the public, and we were able to attend a brief amount of time. And I go back to A-Day, and I wasn't as shocked as everybody else. Uh, and I'm talking about the fans. It was complete meltdown because, you know, you went into that halftime, score 0-0. Zero zero. I have to look at Alabama's defense. That's where you've got to start. When Kirby Smart and Nick Saban lined up that defense, it was really vanilla. Well, a vanilla defense really locked down the quarterbacks, not just Blake Sims, but Cooper Bateman, Alec Morris. It locked those guys down. You don't get that luxury when you're playing the Auburn Tigers or Texas A&M or Florida or Ole Miss. They're going to bring the heat. They're not going to be vanilla. They're going to bring blitz, especially if there's a quarterback that they're uncomfortable with, and they know does not have the confidence to win ball games. I go and I look at Blake Sims. Is this team talented? You could make the argument they've got the best set of running backs in the country, probably the best set of wide receivers. But quarterback, if, if it's not Jacob Toker, I don't see more than eight wins on this team. And I know that's going to be critical to the Alabama fans. I just don't see it. I, I, I mean, go back to a he was uncomfortable. He was rattled. He couldn't throw the football down the field. Where do you want to start? And it seemed like that Nick Saban knew that and backed off even more than what he did in the first half and the second half just to sort of give him a little bit of confidence going into the offseason. But Blake Sims at the quarterback position, eight, nine wins max. You've got to have Jacob Coker if you're talking about a competing for an SEC championship and then – an eventual, you know, national championship-type season.
1: Well, Ryan, you're you're around the program a lot, and, you know, it's usually, pre, you know, the preseason is really hopping Alabama up. But even with a high ranking, with the two losses in a row, how are the players responding to this? With Auburn beating them in the Iron Bowl with the two losses in a row, how are the players going to respond on the field this season? Just say they do get good quarterback play.
0: Well, and I I think that seems to be talented. Uh, They've got a chance to be better on the defensive side of the football than they were last year. Defensive line, more talent, more experience uh, getting after the quarterback. They had some guys that just didn't put in a full, complete effort. We won't call any of those two guys by name. Secondary was really hurt because of the defensive line. They could not put pressure on the quarterback. But I think the players have looked at it and said, you know what, last year was a failure. At this point where Nick Saban has taken this program, if you don't win a national title, it's not been a successful season. Now, that may be unfair to Nick Saban, and he doesn't like it when you put you know, their program top two, top three. That's where Alabama is right now. It's his fault. He created the monster. He's got to deal with it. But I go back and look at the, the mindset uh, of, of these Alabama players. I can see a rejuvenated program, and you may go back. Auburn had a great win against Alabama historical, one that will count down 25 years from now. But if you look at it, that win could have been what kept Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa because he didn't want to walk out with a sour taste out of his mouth and, you know, if he was really interested in leaving and going to Texas. But it also lit a fire under him, and I think that fire is going to trickle down to the players. Uh, not that you've woke up a sleeping giant, but you've poked a sleeping giant and said, hey, we took the game. We're Auburn. We beat you in the Iron Bowl we're Oklahoma, we beat you in the Sugar Bowl game. I think you'll see that same fire that you saw after losing to Utah in the Sugar Bowl in 2008. I think you'll see that same team uh, angry and mad because they've had to go cool up through a rough off- offseason, you know, listening to Auburn, uh, listening to Oklahoma fans say, hey, you know, we got the last two laps in 2013.
1: Well, I'm going to let Trey ask a question or two, and I know you, after a three-hour show, you're exhausted. So, Trey, would you like to ask a question or two?
2: Yeah, I
3: just had
1: a I just had a comment
3: for you as a, as a Florida State guy, and somebody who's watched Jake and Coker quite a bit. Um, and I told I told Tarvin this, and I told this, our, our listeners on our show. I, I actually have an Alabama playing in the, in the college football, uh, you know, sort of championship tournament, if you will, or the Final Four, however we're going to term it here. Uh, because of one guy, and that's Jacob Coker. I, I completely agree with you on the quarterback situation in Alabama. I think they could be an 8-4 team without Jacob Coker. But I'll tell you this, I think Jacob Coker is going to be a, maybe even better than A.J. McCarron. I'm just curious what you think, uh, coming from a Florida State guy I saw him, what are your expectations for him, and what are you expecting out of him?
0: Well, and, and I'd like to hear your analysis of uh, Jacob Coker because I, I, we just don't talk to a lot of Florida State people. We've talked to guys that have witnessed practice. Uh, we talked to Phil Savage, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, had a chance to watch some of the Florida State practices. Uh, but, but everybody's expecting big things from Jacob Coker. We hear that he's got an NFL caliber arm, that he's a guy that can throw the football down the field. Well you look at Amari Cooper, four three, four three five speed, uh, that's amazing. You've got Chris Black from Jacksonville, Florida, First Coast High School. You, you, you've got Christian Jones, which was second on the all-purpose uh, yards last year. There's a lot of talent here. DeAndre White's back. There's a lot of receivers. You've got a good, talented running back core that can help you out with some of those swing passes and, and create you know some, some open-field mismatches. You look at it, and I agree. I think you and I have been the only two people in the country that have said it. I, I'm – I know A.J. McCarron. I covered him since he arrived here in Tuscaloosa. But I will not be shocked if they get more production from Jacob Coker than they did in A.J. McCarron in 2013. I think it's an excellent point. I've only heard two people say it, and that's been you and I, and I agree with it. I, I think it's a very fair, uh, you know, comment to make towards Jacob Coker. Yeah, and i
3: tell you, Orion, I think Jacob the... Coker is – sorry, Tarvin. I think his favorite target – could be your tight end, O.J. Howard. I'm just, just, I just I just I mean, they, they haven't had have, yeah, you know, I don't know of any chemistry. The C and Jacob program practice, the guy likes to hit uh he likes to move around a little bit and he likes to hit the the tight end over the middle. I mean, uh obviously we have a pretty good one at Florida State um and he liked him a lot when he actually played, you know, obviously he was coming in the scrap duty, but uh, I'd look for that as well. Not only not only the Armari Cooper down the field.
0: Wow. Well what what type of uh You know, as far as Jacob Coker, if you've covered him there at Florida State, uh, how quick can he pick up the offense is the big question. You know, how quick can he learn the system? I know it's similar to Florida State. Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban have some similarities. So it's going to be a little bit easier than, you know, transitioning from Auburn to Alabama or vice versa, from Alabama to Auburn, a different system. But Florida State runs a lot of that same pro-type offense. Mm -hmm. And, And I think a lot of people are, you know, Nick Saban even got onto us yesterday and said, Everybody's assuming Jacob Coker's the starter, uh, but he's but he's not. Uh, and I think that was really dumb on Nick Saban's part because if he's going in with Blake Sims as a starter, um, hey, eight nine wins. Uh, you better hope Jacob Coker's the guy that we think he is. If not, you're not competing for a championship with Blake Sims.
1: And Jonathan Miklos is with us. He's a big Florida State fan. Jonathan, do you have anything to add on Jacob Coker? I mean, you've got to analyze him a lot over the past couple of years.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I really like Jacob. I really do. i got to be honest. It pained me to see him leave, but I knew he was going to leave. Uh, one of those situations where I said he's probably going to wind up in an SEC school. That was just a fact of life. Um, now, Coker's a smart kid. There's no doubt about that. He's a very intelligent kid. He can pick up an offense quickly. He's got moxie. He's not afraid to get in there, stand in the pocket, take some shots. And that kid's not afraid to play ball on the biggest stage, no doubt about it. Um, you know, he's a mobile quarterback, which is one of the things that's going to be big. Is People are surprised he might even be more mobile than Jameis. Uh, and that's, that kind of shocks a lot of people for being as big as Jacob is. But he's got a rocket forearm, arm. He's got good accuracy. Now, there will be times on the deep ball, where he let it flutter a little too high. That might be the only real negative I've seen out of Jacob from all I've seen, is that his default, he can let that flutter a little high, you know, whether it goes over the receiver, whether it uh, lets him hang out the drive for the safety, I don't, you know, whichever how it happens. But Jacob's going to be a fine quarterback at Alabama. It's just well, how guess. much save it, open it up for him?
0: Well, and, and, and we talked to A.J. about this a couple of weeks ago. He made one of the first appearances – uh, after being drafted by Cincinnati. And one of the comments that he said is he's, Nick Saban's not going to give you more than you cannot handle. In other words, he's going to give you just enough, ju- just the right amount. He's going to put you in a position to win. So are we going to see Alabama air out against West Virginia or, or Western Carolina or Southern Miss? No, 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 no. But but I think you'll, you'll see what type of season we'll have early because there's some games that, you know, you could probably win with Blake Sims. They may test Jacob Coker in those first couple of games just to see what they really have. But, you know, the real question between Brian and I is how in the world did Florida State slip in the back door of Alabama, and I'm talking (laughs) about the state, and St. Paul's Episcopal (laughs) School there in Mobile, and still one of the top quarterback prospects. How did we let that happen, Brian?
1: Damian Craig.
0: He man, he left. He
1: he he bit Auburn and Alabama on that one. But I but I do think that you know Damian Craig being back in Alabama will will kind of help. I think that's going to hurt Florida State. But this Coker guy, from what I'm hearing, is is the real deal. And it's it's scary because you look at Alabama and you're like, okay, this is the year. This is the year they're going to suck because. They don't have a quarterback, and all of a sudden you see a transfer. We, we see it every year, Ryan, where, it, where a quarterback transfers in and, and makes a run at it. This could be easily um, a great opportunity for Coker, and it's scary because you know Nick Saban personally went and got this kid.
0: Well, and, and even though Nick Saban told us, I guess he thinks we're uh, all crazy a little bit, but he said, I've never seen him throw since he's been in high school uh, you guys believe that? Stand on your head in the middle of McCarroll Boulevard. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, but I, mean that's the time. I mean, I mean, Nick Saban said, "I haven't seen the guy throw." Well, then, I mean, if that's the case, then that's bad judging because you went out and said, "Hey, you know, come to Tuscaloosa. We want you to be our quarterback." Uh, was there an open recruiting to Jacob Coker? Uh, probably not, but there was an invitation that said, uh, "Hey, if you're looking to transfer, we've probably got a spot here." because we haven't done a very good job of evaluating quarterbacks and developing quarterbacks. And I think that's the main reason why you, you've got Lane Kit there. But Nussbier is gone because he struck out on some quarterbacks, did not develop correctly, and didn't evaluate correctly. Uh, and one of those was probably he missed on a guy like Jacob Coker, now in Mobile.
1: I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And, hey, I have a question for you, Ryan, and, and you, we, we see Nick Saban – chew off the heads of some reporters, you know, they ask him a question, the wrong question. Have you ever asked Nick Saban the wrong question and got a bad response from
0: him? Uh, sort of, kind of. Uh, I think I caught him off guard one day uh, because I want to know, this is this is me, okay, a lot of times I like to sit back and analyze the non-verbals. What, what is he really saying up there? You know, because he, he does a lot of hand motions, and, and sometimes you just hear the audio side up. So I'm reading the non-verbals, that sort of, my strategy. But I did ask him one question. I said, what makes you tick? In other words, what makes you go? What gives you the feel to get up in the morning? At his age, he's already accomplished a lot, winning national titles. Uh, you know, he's got a statue out in front of a Brad to stadium. Uh, he's considered to be a lead of the lead of college football coaches. What makes you get up in the morning? And that's not the way I asked the question, but in a roundabout way. And he goes, mm, no, not really. Um, I mean, and it was it was like he he didn't chew my head off, but I was I was looking like what gets you up in the morning, and and um, I mean I think he was shocked that I would say that you know like I mean what does motivate Nick Saban I mean what motivates the best of the best what what motivates LeBron James to go out and play basketball obviously championships but when you reach that pinnacle what motivates Michael Jordan's of the world Vince Lombardi what what motivates you to get up and say I want to go do it again. Well,
1: that's what I want to know. I'm going to I'm gonna tell you, Ryan. I'm going to tell you what it is, and I think what motivates him is, is that 109-yard kickoff, or Miss Bilgo, <laughs> turn for a touchdown that he's heard about ever since it happened.
0: I think that's what motivates Nick Saban. The fear of losing. You're absolutely correct. And, uh, how, many, how many over or under? How many times do you think Nick Saban has watched that 109-yard play? How many times over or under over over or under a hundred? How many times do you think he's watched that replay?
1: I would say over a hundred, honestly.
0: I do too. I agree. I agree totally. He probably wakes up in the morning, and like we hit the alarm <laughs> clock, he hits like the DVR just to watch it again. <laughs> and that's what motivates him to get out of bed. You know, oh wow, I can't believe that. Did I really let that happen? Did I? You know, I mean it probably eats him alive, and it should be. That's a bad loss.
1: Well, Ryan, you look at his record coming off a loss the next time he plays a certain coach, you know, how he responds. And usually if you beat Nick Saban, the next time you play him, you get drilled. So that, that shows what motivates
0: Well, and you're right. You're right. And I'm sure he's working on a strategy, but, you know, there's a big – equation that you've got to solve is how do you slow down that hurry-up style offense? Because if Auburn comes out and rushes for 4,500 yards plus in 2014, you know, you can come up with a lot of strategies, but if you can play smash-mouth football and then combine that with a hurry-up tack, <laughs> I mean, it could be another long season for a lot of teams trying to stop that offense in 2014.
1: Well, Ryan, my last question for you, bud, and thanks for joining us again. Is it possible? What, what are the uh, – what's the percentage of Auburn and Alabama being undefeated going into that iron ball?
0: Oh, I think it's huge. I think think it's a one-game schedule, guys. Uh, I know Auburn's got a tougher road because of the strength of schedule, the teams that they've got to play. So I guess that question would really go back on the Auburn Tigers. Can they repeat the success of 2013? But if you look at Alabama's schedule, it's really a one-game schedule. If you can get past Ole Miss, which any time we count on Ole Miss, They always let us down. If we put pressure on Ole Miss, they don't ever live up to the expectations. Never have. There's a reason why we call them Ole Miss, okay, part of it. (laughs) So Alabama can get through Ole Miss. LSU is not going to be as good as everybody anticipates, I don't think. But I go down to that final game in November. Could it happen? I I mean, let's go back to 2013. I think it could happen where both teams are undefeated and you're playing for a chance to go to the SEC championship, and then you're pulling – for that team to win because you want to stay in the top four and go to the college football playoff. And here's the question that some people have talked about and some people haven't talked about. How about a matchup? A matchup. Because if, if 2014 the college football playoffs would have been implemented last year, we would have played Alabama and Auburn, once again, a rematch in the semifinal game. How huge is that, guys? That's, that's what college football is all about. The state of Alabama could not
1: handle that, right? No, I mean there's a <laughs> no, there's a reason why they're in the same division right now, and if that ever happens, the pressure. I mean, imagine Alabama beats Auburn by a field goal this year, and guess what? The first round of the college playoffs, Auburn and Alabama, and New Orleans playing. Could you just imagine that?
0: No, 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 no. And I don't. No, hey, it's great for what we do in in the business of uh, talk radio. It'd be a lot of fun there, uh, but uh, no, I. I Wow. I mean, you know, and it's really all unfair for the Auburn perspective because you've already beat them once. Why do you have to turn around and beat them again? And I think that same equation comes back into play. Can you beat Nick Saban twice in two years? Can you beat Nick Saban twice in one month? Uh, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> so, hey, guys, uh, I appreciate you featuring me, and uh, uh, I, I look forward to listening, and uh, thank you guys so much for talking a college football. I'm, 94 days away. 94 days away.
1: Ryan, give us your information. How we can follow you on Twitter and how we can listen to your show.
0: All right. So I'm I'm encouraging Auburn people to follow me on Twitter. Oh no. I mean, because I I do get a lot of uh, trolls uh, that hit me up. Uh, (laughs) I get more pictures. I get more pictures because I am a home media guy. I get more pictures of that uh, 109 yard run back than probably any other media guy in the country. Auburn fans me on me, but I love, it. I love the passion. I love the rivalry between Alabama and Auburn. But you can connect with me uh, each and every day. I do a, a local show here in Tuscaloosa. Just because we're in Tuscaloosa, we take about 30% Auburn callers. Uh, and I think it's just the ones that really, really want to agitate and remind them about one-second uh, defeat in uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium there. Uh, so at the game, WDGM, at the game, WDGM, uh, you, you can connect with that. You can also connect with the station. But uh, like us on Facebook and connect with us. And, you know, I'm working on a big Auburn guest uh, next couple of days. So, so not only we feature a lot of Alabama guys, we feature a lot of Auburn guys as well. And uh, we're, we try to, you know, be 70, 30 type. You know, we, we cover the SEC, but we really focus on the rivalry of college football, and it's the best in the business. It's uh, Alabama-Auburn. It's a lot of fun to cover.
1: All right, Ryan, again, thanks for joining us, and, and we'll be tuning in very soon. Uh, Trey, Ryan Fowler, a lot of passion for Alabama, a lot of passion for college football, especially this Iron Bowl rivalry.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: good, good call. Appreciate Ryan calling in for us talking to us today. Yeah, I, th- I think he really got a kick out of hearing from two Florida State people about Coker, and you and Jonathan both – and been telling Auburn fans, been telling Alabama fans, watch out for Jacob Coker, uh, he's the real deal. So, and, and one thing about Coker Trey is he's a he's mature. He's been through some practices, some springs, some quarterback competitions. He he had to go up against two great quarterbacks. It's not like he's getting beat out by by scrubs. I mean, I can't think of the name EJ Manuel and Jameis Winston. That's not bad company. That's not too bad to finish second to them, brother. Really. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, if you think Blake
3: Sims is going to beat this guy out, if, even if there was an open quarterback competition, which I, I don't think is, um, you know, I, I would not be worried. I mean, Jacob Cooger is going to go in. This guy, and I don't think you know, people understand, I've said this many times in our show, Tarvin, he, he legitimately took Jameis Winston to the wire in a quarterback competition. I, I think, um part of that was Jimbo Fisher obviously wanting to see what Winston was made of. Uh, but he legitimately was practicing at times far better than Winston was. I think it just Winston had some brilliant uh and then you know, Fisher just couldn't turn it down. Um but, you know, just with Jacob Coker, I mean, maybe I'm the only person, may, may, maybe maybe not. Uh, I just think that if you're looking at a dark horse candidate and I've heard all the SEC talk about, you know, dark horse Heiding candidates and I haven't heard his name. I think if there's any dark horse Quarterback candidate
1: in the SEC is Jacob Coker, and I really do. I mean, he's going to put up numbers, but that's scary. You put a quarterback in with those running backs, receivers, the defense, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. It's just not a good thing. So I'm, as an Auburn fan, I'm hoping you know uh, that Alabama does good. I hope they do very well, but I just, I just hope at the end of the year, going into Tuscaloosa, that that game has the same meaning, Trey, as it did this year, even more. I want more last year and it was it was a thrill. It was very stressful watching that game. I'm sure every Alabama and Auburn fan lost about 10 years off their life during that game. But we're going to wrap it up here tonight. I want to thank Ryan Fowler again from the Tide 99.1 FM coming on the show. A great guest. Trey, we'll be back on Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Until then, everybody have a wonderful week and Sunday night I'll be here fast, Trey. Take care.
0: Yeah. Take care.